Well, guys, good morning. I got good news and bad news. Good news is you only have to hear that song for one more week. <laughs> but the bad news is that means we're finishing up our series on happiness this next week. And I hope you've enjoyed this series. It's been one that we've been praying for you that while we've been going through this series, that this would be the type of series that affects every area of your life. And as we've been looking into this uh, today, uh, the subject title, uh, it's a little bit different. We're talking about money as it relates to our happiness. Because Jesus talked about uh, our money a lot when it relates to our happiness. So I'm excited to jump into this. But when I think about money and I think about happiness, I think about you. I think about our church. Because I'm so excited to be part of such a generous church. Just a couple weeks ago, we mentioned the fact that while there were hurricanes that were uh, striking the beaches of uh, Mexico, that while this was all taking place, there were people going, you know, how can we help? But because of your generosity, we have already been able to uh, sponsor and help organizations like Convoy of Hope, where while this was all taking place, we already had boots on the grounds and resources there for the people that needed it right there. And it's all because of your generosity. And it makes me think, you know what? I love our church. I love that God is already stirring in you the type of generosity where he wants us to, to resemble his love throughout the world. And I mean, we, we talked about Angel Tree today. And as we talk about things like this, every year when we do Angel Tree, what's so cool about you is it's not, we've never had a year where kids got missed. But beyond that, it's not that we just make sure every kid is covered. We blow these kids away. We blow the foster families away when they're going, we can't understand the generosity of the people at Fellowship Church. So I want to thank you for the fact that God is already working in you and helping us become people who are not just looking at money as something something that we're trying to hold on to for ourselves, but, but using it as a resource where we can share God's love. I think a quick review before we jump into this today. Uh, over the last several weeks, we asked the question, what makes you happy? Does anyone remember the first answer? No thing. That was the first week. No thing. No material thing makes you happy. We asked the same question the second week and came up with the answer sowing. We talked about the biblical principle uh, that we find where Jesus teaches us that, that happiness comes through sowing and reaping. We talked about uh, serving. Serving is something that makes us happy. And last week, we also talked about the fact that following the good shepherd makes us happy. Now, if you look at all of these different topics we've covered so far, uh, really this sowing topic is something that kind of spreads out past all of them. It goes into every week because Jesus taught us that happiness is not immediately accessible. That your happiness is not immediately accessible. You can't just read a book and become happy. You can't have an experience and just become happy. But Jesus teaches us that happiness comes through sowing and reaping. Now the problem with that is that sowing and reaping takes time. If you sow a seed into the ground, it takes a while before you get a harvest. It takes a while before there's an outcome. So unfortunately, what a lot of us in this room have experienced is we've been sowing, and we didn't even realize it, but we were sowing towards our own unhappiness. And there are a lot of us in this room that could say, you know what, where I am right now in life, I've got stress, I've got anxiety, I'm not happy, I'm frustrated. <clears throat> pardon me, and we could look back and say, you know what, as I look back on my life, now in hindsight, it's very clear to see, I was sowing seeds towards my own unhappiness. I was sowing seeds towards my own frustration, and now I'm in this, this horrible spot. And, and the good news is, the good news is Jesus shows us 
that you have the opportunity to begin sowing right now towards your happiness in the future. That making better decisions now gives you a better outcome in the future. In, in this principle, I, I don't feel like it becomes any more applicable in any of these weeks that we've covered more than this topic today as we cover the topic of money. How sowing and reaping is so important when we look at the topic of money. Now, if you've been in church for any period of time, you've probably heard someone say something along the lines like, money won't make you happy. Money doesn't bring happiness. In fact, I just heard a song on the radio the other day that says, money can't buy you everything, it can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you a boat. It can buy you a truck to pull it, right? It, we've heard things like this, and you've probably heard a preacher somewhere along the line say, you know, money can't buy you happiness. And the truth is, you don't believe that, and neither do I. I hear a preacher say something like, money can't make you happy, and I think, yeah, well, try me, right? <laughs> Where do I sign up? To, well, I want to be the guy. You give, give me the money. I'll see if it makes me happy, right? Try me on that one, because we don't believe that. We, we recognize that there is a correlation. There's a connection between happiness and money, and that's something that you need to understand, that Jesus teaches us that, that there is a connection in your life between happiness and money. And, and that might be mind-blowing because for some of you, you've, you've grown up in churches, you've had parents teach you as you, you've lived life, well, money won't make you happy, money won't make you happy. And I think the problem with that is because we get a confusion about the connection between happiness and money. Because for a lot of us, the confusion is we've thought that the connection between happiness and money is this word. It's the word more. Right? More. That if I had more money, then I would be more happy. Or I should say, if I had more money, then I would be happier, right? We think that way. The, the more I have, then certainly that's going to be what makes me happier. It's going to be, I'll be more joyful. I'll be more at peace. Like, certainly I need more. So I want to ask a question right off the bat to kind of get your head into the game. Now, don't answer this question out loud. This is a question just for you, but I want you to get involved with me real quick and think about it. If... More money would make you happier, or more money would make you more at peace. If that is the case, then how much more money would make you happier? I want to think about it for a moment. Just put, put a number value on it. Don't shout it out. Keep this to yourself. But just think about it for a moment. What would be the number value? If I had this amount of money, then certainly I'm going to be happier. More money means more happiness, certainly, right? I mean, it, was, it would take the stress off. We've been in a series on happiness, and one of the things we've talked about in this series is the fact that one of the intangible things that all happy people have is they have peace. Peace with God, peace with other people, peace even with yourself. And so let's ask the question then in this form. How much money would it take? What is the, the amount of money it would take to give you peace? You know, like, it, my kids could be freaking out, but I got a raise at work, so I'm doing okay, right? Like, my wife and I, we're struggling. I mean, our marriage is on the rock, but we got money in the savings account, so I'm, I'm at peace, right? So if we ask this question, how much money would it take for you to be happy? How much money would it take for you to be at peace? If you were to try to put that number in your head, here's the truth. I know the answer of this question for every one of us in this room. The answer is the same for every one of us in this room. How much money would make you happy? The answer, more than you currently have. Isn't that the truth? 
And it's the truth no matter if you have a lot or if you have a little because we know people, you know people who have a lot of money. And you look at them and you're like, they've got a bigger house than you and they've got nicer cars than you and they got a boat and they go on vacation every year. And you look at it and you can see them. And if we were honest, even from the outside looking in, you'd look at them and go, you know what, I, I, I think that there's some struggles going on. I don't know if they're really happy. The opposite is true as well where you and I also know people who don't have as much as you. You look at them, they don't have the resources you have. They don't get to go on the cool vacations like you go on. They don't live in the house you, you live in. And you look at them and it's like they somehow seem happier than you do. And it can be confusing because we, we relate. These are all the things I try to go for. And, and, and it's like I'm planning a vacation because I want to have a great vacation with my family. So I'm thinking let's do something cool like let's go to Disney or let's go to Hawaii or let's do something great. And we think if, if, I, if I have more, then I can have a better experience, a better vacation. And then we look at, uh, at our friends, uh, our kids' friends, and they're going, you know what? My friends are going up to the mountains and they're going camping. You go, wait a minute. I want, I want to take you to the beach and now you're telling me that your friends are going camping and you want to go camping with them. And you're like, what's the difference? I'm talking about going to the beach. We're going to stay in a resort. It's going to be nice. And you're going to go sleep in a tent. And it's like our kids already somehow recognize that, that more doesn't necessarily mean happier. And it's, we get this confusion in our head. And we think, you know, there's got to be a connection between happiness, my happiness, and how much money I have and and so many of us get frustrated in life because we think that the connection between how much we have and how much happiness we have and how much money we have is more. But the connection that we're going to see today is not the word more. And let me just pause for a second. Let me say, you know, if you're visiting with us today, if you feel like you had a friend who, who coaxed you into coming with you today, first of all, we're so glad that you're here. We're thankful that you're here. But I want to just hit the pause button and say, you know, I really hope today you can take just a moment and forget the fact that I'm a pastor. Forget the fact that you're in church because what we're going to look at today is something where Jesus is not talking necessarily just about our money, but he's talking about our happiness. And Jesus wants you to be happy. He wants you to experience the very best life. So this isn't about Dan's words and my opinions. This is about what God wants for you in order for you to be able to be happy. And here's what's so frustrating about a message like this. is I believe at the end of this message, for most of us in this room, probably almost every one of us in this room, we're going to get to a point where we all agree with what Jesus says. We're going to look at what Jesus says about our happiness. We're going to look at what he says about our money. And we're going to go, yeah, I agree with that. That's awesome. It's very easy to get in our head. But what's so frustrating about it is moving it from just a thought in our head and saying, yeah, that's a good thought, to allowing it to change our hearts. To allowing it to get into who you are so you see things differently and you see perspectives differently. Because if we all began to look at our money and look at our happiness the way that Jesus taught us to look at our money and our happiness, it would change your whole world. It would change the frustrations that we deal with on a daily basis. It would change what we drive after day after day after day. So it's my prayer today that as we get this and as we start to agree and say, you know what, that's right. I understand the principle. I believe it. I believe it's true that we would allow God to start to, to change us on the inside. To not just be head knowledge, but to be heart knowledge. So here it is. There's a connection between your happiness and money. And the word is not more. The word is managed. 
The word is managed. We see that there's a connection here, and it's, it's not how much you have. It's how you manage what you have that determines whether or not you will be happy when it comes to money. It's not the amount of money that you have. It's not the amount of money that you earn. In other words, money can contribute to your happiness, and money will contribute to your happiness, but it all depends on how you manage your money. See, anything that undermines your peace ultimately undermines your happiness. It's what we've talked about for the last month in this series, that if there's something that undermines your peace with God, your peace with others, your peace with yourself, if, if your peace is undermined, then ultimately your happiness is going to be undermined too. And, and if we understand this to be true, then when you mismanage your money, you undermine your peace. You say, wait a minute, I, I'm not choosing to mismanage my money, I'm just frustrated with my money. Well, sometimes not, it's not that you're choosing to mismanage your money, but by choosing not to manage your money, you're choosing to mismanage your money. And in doing that, you're undermining your peace, and ultimately you're undermining your happiness. And Jesus says some very powerful words that we're going to look at when it comes to your happiness and your money today. And it's interesting, because he's saying this. He says, if you don't manage your money then ultimately your money is going to manage you. That's what he says in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. We have this on the screens here. You can follow along. This is Jesus' words. Jesus is talking here. He says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. To which we think, you know, that doesn't even matter to me. That doesn't apply to me. This isn't the first century. I don't have a master. I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. I, I can... I, I don't have to answer to anyone, and then we pay our property taxes, and we say, oh, yeah, I guess, well, there is that, right? So maybe it is a little more applicable than we even thought. Jesus is saying, you do serve a master. There are masters that we serve, and he, he says, so, so be clear here. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. This is big language. He's saying, he's saying you're either going to hate one master and love the other, or you're going to de be devoted to one and despise the other. And then Jesus talks about these two masters, and, and it might be a surprise to you, these two masters he's discussing, because it's like this big buildup here. Jesus is taking us here. There, there's masters that you have to choose in life. And one of them you're going to love, one of them you're going to hate, one of them you're going to despise, one of them you're going to be devoted to. you got to understand this. And Jesus brings it down, and he then tells us who the two masters are. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Wait a minute. Like, I could see, this is Jesus talking, I could see he's going to say, one of the masters, one of your options is God. Okay, so if there's a master that is in conflict with you being devoted to God, to you loving God, to you serving God, then certainly that other option has got to be like the devil. Okay, so you could say you can either serve God or the devil, but that's not what he says. So maybe if there's something standing in the way of my devotion to God, then it's going to be like God or your sin. God or, or, or your own personal desires, something like that. That's got to be where he's going. But Jesus is so smart, and he knows the chief competitor for your love towards God, the chief competitor for your devotion to God, he said, is not one of those other things. He says, you can either serve God or you can serve money. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't serve money. I don't get down on the ground and worship money. I mean, Money's not my master. 
If we look at the original language here, the Greek uses a word very close. It's translated in many Bibles to the word mammon. And mammon means money, but it also goes beyond that. It talks about treasures. It talks about stuff. It talks about things, the acquiring of things. Okay? So, so Jesus is saying you can either serve God or you can serve stuff. You can serve trying to acquire things. You can serve money. You can serve treasure. And, and he's saying the chief competitor to your devotion to God, to your full devotion to God, and God wants your full devotion for you to be able to call the shots in your life. Your chief competitor is that you have a desire for stuff. You have a desire for money, that you love money. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't love money. Why do we keep saying this? Well, I think it's clear. We need to go back and look at Jesus' words exactly and see what is it Jesus is saying in this sentence here. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other. I don't love stuff, okay? But, but let's just keep going and see how Jesus defines loving stuff. He, he says it this way. He says, or you will be devoted to. Devoted to. So what do you mean, Jesus, by loving stuff, by loving money? He's saying, I mean that you would be devoted to it. What is devotion to something? Devotion is a real strong attachment to Wait a minute, that's getting a little too personal, getting a little too close, right? It's real strong attachment to, it's, it's a quest for, it's I got my eye on that, it's I'm using this thing as a filter in how I make my decisions, and I think if we were to be honest, you might not like the words that Jesus used when he says that you would love money, that you'd love one master of money, but, but I think if we were honest, we could all say, you know what? Maybe we are a little too devoted to money than we should be. I think if we were to just make a comparison in our life to all the things we could be devoted to and say, I'm devoted to money this way and I'm devoted to these other things this way. And I think, how much time do I spend thinking about money? How much time do I spend planning and scheming to get more? How much time do I spend worrying about if I'm going to have enough? How much time do I make decisions based on the filter of, is this going to affect my money or not? And you could probably answer pretty clearly just like I would and say, you know what? I might be way too devoted to money. And Jesus is saying, you got to understand, it's very clear here that, that there are an option between two different masters. There's a choice here. He says, you will be devoted to one despite the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here's another pesky question. Here, here, here's the question right here. Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something stupid? Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something stupid? You say, yeah, of course, that's a stupid question. Every one of us have done that. Well, I'm going somewhere with this, so just follow me, okay? Have you ever desired something, and since you had a desire for something, you wanted it, and you went after it, and I thought, I want that thing, I want that thing, I want that thing, until finally you make a decision, and once you make the decision, you're like, that was a stupid decision. And you saw it, and you, you, you didn't even know about it, but the new iPhone came out, or there was a new model of the truck, and there was that, that, that new pair of shoes that you didn't even know they came in your size, and they did. So you're like, I gotta have it, I gotta have it. And as soon as you go get it, and then the credit card bill shows up in the mail, or that lease book shows up in the mail, you go, man, that was stupid. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Has your desire for something ever turned into a devotion to something? What is that? 
That's the moment where your desire for something gets to a point where you start to make your decisions based on what you want. Based on your desire for it. Based on your devotion too. So it's like you think about it and common sense tells you, you know what? You already have a pair of those. You don't need to buy another pair of those. Or you already have a car that runs. You don't need that. You already have a nice house. You already have this. You already have that. And you know the common sense answers. Don't do it. But you're like, you know what? But I just want it anyways. And you go for it. Have you ever done that? In those moments, maybe those are the times when when we're allowing something else to master us. Maybe it's what Jesus is talking about here when he says, you can't serve two masters. You're going to have a master. And are you bowing down and saying, yeah, I'm going to do what my desires lead me to. I'm going I'm to be devoted towards something. I'm going to love something so much that I'm going to make decisions that, that hurt me ultimately. In those moments, money mastered you. Stuff mastered you. See, Jesus knew this. He knew that the chief competitor to your devotion, to the devotion that God wants from your life is that, is that desire for stuff. The chief competitor for the throne of your life is the desire to acquire. So, so why is this? Why is it that you and I, you know, we love God. We're, we're here because we want to learn more about God. Why is it we put ourselves in the situation where we end up becoming servant to, to money, where we put it on the throne of our life. We, we care about it so much. Well, I want, I want to give you three words to write down. These, this is the three reasons why you and I fall into this trap of serving money. The first word is discontentment. Discontentment. Discontentment is a very powerful thing because discontentment says, I am unwilling to be happy because I know what you have and I know what there is to have and since I don't have it, I'm not going to be happy. That's discontentment. And see, discontentment is driven by awareness. As soon as you become aware of something, then all of a sudden you need to have it, and you're, you're discontent now. It's like you loved your cell phone until the new cell phone, iPhone 6 came out, and then, and then you had to have it, right? You, you loved your truck until you saw someone drive down the road who had a nicer truck, and it's like awareness leads to discontentment. Have you ever realized that? Just think this way. Have you ever walked through the store and, and you've had this experience where you're going through the store, you see something, it's like you didn't even know this thing existed, right? And now that you see it, it's like something happens and it happens so quickly in a matter of just 30 seconds, you went from going, I didn't even know this existed to I have to have this. I don't know how I ever lived without this. We were like in, we were in the stone ages before, but now I have this. It's like, you go so quickly from, I didn't even know it existed to I need it. What is that? That's discontentment. That's awareness leading to discontentment. And see, I've seen much older, wiser people model this throughout my life. People will say, you know what, there are certain things that you just don't need to expose yourself to because all you're going to do is you're going to start wanting things that you don't really want in the end. In fact, uh, just several years back, I saw this happen with uh, Pastor Tim and I. We were both riding motorcycles and uh, we both just had basic motorcycles. I was riding a Honda, he was riding a Yamaha and this guy cruised up one time to our church and he, he pulled up and he had a brand new beautiful Harley Davidson and he took the keys and he threw them to Tim. He's like, he's like Tim, you got to take this thing for a ride. It's awesome, man. And Tim's like, it's beautiful and he threw the keys back to him and he said, I'm not even going to drive it. I'm thinking, 
I'll drive it. You know, no, he didn't offer it to me. What's going on here? It, it turns like I don't even want to drive that because he goes, I'm happy right now with my Yamaha, but if I drive that brand new Harley around, then I'm going to be discontent and I'm going to feel like I need to go get a new Harley. I don't even need that. I'm fine with my little Yamaha. And he rode off. And I said, wow, that's really cool. You know, just a couple weeks ago, Amelie and I were in Texas, and, and when we were, uh, we went to a rental car place, and, and there, uh, i got to pause for a second and tell you, I'm not a car guy. I've always driven trucks and Jeeps and stuff. I've, I've never really cared much about cars. My wife just thinks that the new Mustang is beautiful, and she's talked about wanting one and how cool it would be and all that. So we pull up, and, um, and we're at this, this rental car dealership. We get off the little shuttle, and we stop there, and, and they show right out front there's a brand-new Mustang GT. This isn't just the Mustang. This is the Mustang GT Big time horsepower. And Amelie's looking at me, she goes, she goes, we don't have to buy it, but maybe we could just rent it, you know? I'm like, so, okay, I let her twist my arm. And we, we rented the Mustang GT. I had no idea I needed one of these things, okay? <laughs> I can't go too deep into this, but I'll just say, thank God I made it all the way home and I still have my driver's license, okay? <laughs> it was awesome, right? What's funny about that is, I've never cared about cars, and now I see Mustangs drive down the road, I'm thinking, I need one of those, right? Why? Because awareness leads to discontentment. It's something that we all need to recognize in ourselves. It's the reason why we, we fall prey sometimes to becoming a servant to the master money. The second word, this, this leads us to the next thing, is, is the word greed. This is another reason why we fall into this trap is greed. See, greed is tricky because you can see greed in other people. It's really easy to point out a greedy person. Oh, that person's greedy. But it's really hard to see greed in ourselves. See, when we look at ourselves and we look in the mirror, we, we think about our intentions and we think, well, I'm not a greedy person. I, you know, I, I don't really, I don't look at myself as a greedy person, but we can so easily judge it on other people. Well, I think for us to look at this, we've got to look at the way Jesus defined greed. And if you get through all the scriptures, all his teaching on money, all his teachings on greed, you can basically break it down into the statement, greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. The assumption that it's all for my consumption, that anything that comes through my hands is for me. That if, it's, if it became my money, then it's for me to use. That, that if I somehow came upon it, then it's for me to spend on myself. It's for me to consume. And Jesus says that type of a mindset is greedy. That's believing that anything that God puts in your hands is not for the use to help other people, to help other things around you, but just for you. And and when we go through life, you know, with a discontented attitude, feeling like I need what you have, I want more of what you have, then everything that we put our hands to, we feel like that is for me to consume. Then what do we do? We spend more on ourselves and more on ourselves and more on ourselves. We consume more and consume more and consume more. And then when the money runs out, we don't stop there. Why? Because we're Americans. We don't need to stop there. Right? When the money runs out, we just keep spending, and we keep spending, and we keep spending. And that brings us to the third word, debt. We end up in debt, and this is how most Americans, we live our lives, is because we think, you know what, I don't have to stop spending. Other people, other parts of the world, they have to stop spending when their money runs out, but I'm an American. I've got a little plastic card in my pocket. I can go to the bank, I can ask for more, and I can borrow more than I have, and I can end up in debt, and we spend so much, and we've all done it. 
Every one of us in here, we, I, we could pass the microphone around and talk about the different times that you and I have, have bought things and like we really wanted at the time. We were discontent and we were greedy and we wanted it and it led us to this point to where we spent more than we have and now we're going, man, I feel like a slave to my desire. Because I had a desire for something, it turned into a devotion to it, and then now all of a sudden I'm slave to it, and I'm making payments over and over and over again. I'm stressed out now. It's like there's all this weight on me, and it's all because of debt. See, something I heard some wiser, older people say, I didn't, I didn't come up with this. This has been around for a long time. But there's a principle that can help you so much in this, and it's this statement. I want is better than I owe. I want is better than I owe because you're a human being. You're going to want stuff. For the rest of your life, you will want things. So there will always be a tension with I want. I want it and I don't have it. There's a tension there. But there's also a tension with I bought it and I can't afford it. There's a tension there. In one of those two areas, you can have happiness. In one of those two areas, you can have stress and anxiety and worry and frustration. And we've all experienced it. I say this not because I've got this all figured out, but because I struggle just like every other person in this room. I want is better than I owe. Because when it, I want is between you and God. When you say, I want something, I want a new house, I want a new car, I want this, I want that, it's like, God, would you help me with that? Would you give this to me? But the flip side of this is when you, when you turn it around from I want and you go ahead and go into debt and purchase something that you couldn't afford to pay for, now it's not between you and God anymore, it's between you and the creditor. And here's the really tricky part to this. Did you know that the Bible shows us that God sides with the creditor? Did you realize that? That you're like, wait a minute, he, he does what? Yeah, because as a Christian, if you're following Christ, then Christ says you need to pay what you owe. So, so what we have is we have God saying, you know what, you shouldn't go into debt. You shouldn't borrow money. You shouldn't be doing those types of things. That's going to stress you out financially. It's going to make you a slave. You're going to become a, a, a slave to the master money. You should never do that. And then when you go into debt, Jesus stands behind the creditor and says, you've got to pay up. Pay up. And you're like, wait a minute. Uh, Seems like you switched sides there, and God's saying, I didn't switch sides. You made a poor decision. I told you not to do it. I warned you. It's a bad decision. Don't do that. It's like God is pleading with us because we need to understand that I want is better than I owe. See, I have a, uh, a couple of uh, goals that we go through every year. New Year's coming up, and when it comes up, we always have our goals that we want for our family, and there's all these different financial goals. We might want to go on this vacation. We might want to do that. We might want to put this much in savings. One thing Amelie and I always come back to is we have the goal, stay out of debt. Stay out of debt. Why is that? It's, it's because I have the same temptation, just like every one of us in this room, that to let discontentment and to let greed draw me into a place where I would put myself in debt and become a slave to where now I'm no longer happy. I'm no longer at peace. I'm stressed out. And it's exactly in the opposite direction of what God would want for us. And, and I, I put this in place because I've been there. I have a boat in, in storage right now covered in dust that I'm still paying payments on from years ago because of one of those moments just like that. So let's, let's put these three words up on the screen. Let me ask you a question. Discontentment, greed, and debt, okay? Look at these three words. 
Which of these three makes you happy? Think about it. Which of these three make you happy? Is it discontentment? I get home at the end of a long day, I go out to the mailbox and there's all these catalogs there and I just open them up and put them out on the table and I look at all the stuff I don't have and I'm just like, oh man, I feel great, right? Is it greed? Is it, you know, when you have a day where you realize all you did is just consume more, consume more, consume more, spend more, spend more, spend more, at the end of the day, do you really feel any happier? Or maybe, maybe it's debt, you know, I never feel happier than when those credit cards come in the mail, and especially the ones in red ink. Those are like, those are the ones that really make me feel happy. And we all know this, right? None of this is rocket science. This is why I said at the beginning of this message, this is really easy to pick up in your head. Every one of us agree with this. So Dan, what, what is the application? What do you do then? What do you do? Simple word. Stop. Right? Thanks, Dan. That's helpful. We just stop. We, we stop the discontentment. We stop the greed. We stop the debt. Well, how do you do that, right? I mean, it seems really simple to talk that way, but what do you do there? Well, well, here's if we look at this verse again one more time, Luke 16, 33. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What Jesus is saying here is he's offering us an alternative. He's saying, yeah, you can do what everyone else does and you can serve the master of money and you can go into debt and you can be frustrated and you can be discontent and you can be greedy and you can buy into all the things that are okay in our culture and that's going to lead you to a place where none of it's going to bring you any happiness. But he says, I offer you a different way. And Jesus is saying, you can have a new master and his last name is not Card, okay? I thought that was cute. I'm sorry. It's cute in my notes, maybe not good in the sermon. I don't know. But Jesus is saying you can have a new master. You, you don't have to bow down to the way our world looks at money, but you can do it differently. You could say, God, I want you to be my master. I want to be your servant. I want, I want to be able to manage my own money because you're managing me. Because God, I don't like the way this all feels. I don't like the way debt feels. I don't like the way greed feels. I don't like the way discontentment feels. So if we were to look at all of the things that Jesus taught in the New Testament when it comes to finances, you could sum it up with two words. You could sum it up with the word wisdom and the word generosity. Generosity and wisdom here. You can, you can basically say, you know what, Jesus was teaching us to do how to manage our money so that our money doesn't manage us, is that we have to be generous with our money and we have to be wise with our money. And if you think about the people in your life who are the happiest when it comes to their, their finances, they're wise when it comes to their money and they're generous when it comes to their money. We've, we've had biblical teachings here at our church for years, and we offer classes through Crown Financial, through Financial Peace University. We've, we've had these teachings for year after year after year, but you can basically break down God's principles on managing your money in three steps. The steps are give, save, live. Give, save, live. We didn't come up with this. This has been around all from Jesus' teachings, all throughout humanity. We've seen that he's taught us, first of all, you got to give and then save and then live. Maybe you've heard it, the 10-10-80 plan. 
And it's called that way because the Bible shows us we should be given the first 10% of our money. And then the second 10% we should be saving. And then we live off the last 80%. That's what we choose to live off of. Not more than that. Not 80 plus whatever our credit cards are. But the 80% that we have left over. So we go, we put God's kingdom first with 10%. We put our kingdom second with 10%. And then we live off the rest. And see, there's so much that comes out of this because when you decide to do things God's way and you say, I'm going to give first, what you're doing is you're rejecting money as your master. And when you get your paycheck and you say, okay, right off the bat, I'm going to give, you're saying, you know what, money, you are not my master, watch, I'm even going to give some of you away, so take that. I have have a God and I have a a real master. I'm not going to bow to you. I'm not going to bow to what my culture agrees with. I'm not going to do any of that. So right off the bat, I give to God. I'm giving to him first, and then second, I'm going to save. And when I save, that begins to, to give me a little bit of peace because the Bible says that in this world, we're going to have trouble. We're going to go through difficult times, so we need to be ready for some of the difficult times we go through. You're saying, Dan, do you put your trust in money? Absolutely not, but we have to be wise with our money, and God tells us there's times we should save. And then we choose to live off the 80%. I want to put up this last, like, chart of words here just to show you this is how this all looks this is how you make your money make you happy when you give the first 10 percent, that brings you joy when you save it brings you peace it starts to bring you peace of mind to go you know what in case i get a flat tire i'm gonna be fine in case well does that mean you're not trusting god no it's just being wise with your money you start to get peace of mind so give brings to joy save leads to peace and then living off the last 80 percent, not more than that that gives you freedom because now you don't have to worry about creditors calling you now you don't have to worry about all these sorts of struggles that we deal with on an everyday basis because we have allowed money to become our master Would you bow your heads with me? I want to just ask you this question. Think for me a moment. What if? What if you had lived the last 20 years of your life doing this? Or 30 years or 40 years of your life. What if for the last season of your life, you gave first, you saved second, and you lived off the 80%? Do you think you'd be happier? Do you think what Jesus is talking about here is... It's not that he's trying to take from you, but that he's trying to show you you can manage your money in a way where you can be happier. Here's what I know. I recognize there's some of you in this room that would probably be like, yeah, that is a great message. That sounds good, but it's pretty shallow because I'm in so much debt, I don't even know what to do. Like, I got years before I can ever get out, of, dig myself out of debt. So I, what am I even supposed to do with that? Well, I want you to know right off the bat, we, it's not that we don't want anything from you. What we want from you is that we want to give to you and help you with this. Jesus had a plan for you, and he had a plan towards your happiness. So there might be some of you that are going, you know what? I'm in debt. I'm in trouble. I don't even know what to do with this. We have classes here that help you with that. We have a class that we're doing right now, Financial Peace University, and I know that class is almost over, but we're taking sign-ups right now for anyone else who'd want to get involved in that so we can give you the practical tools of how to get out of debt. We can give you the practical tools of how to budget, how to live by the means that God has already given you so that you can get out of these things. So if you're here today and you're like, I just feel like I'm drowning in this, we have help for you that we want to give you today. Now, for the rest of us, before we dismiss, I just want to pray for you right now that we would be the type of people that would trust God. Because what if, what if, just perhaps, we decided to make God our master and we stopped serving money?
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you care so much about our happiness and that you care so much about us managing our money in a way where we can live life and live life to the fullest like you tell us in John 10.10. So God, I recognize right now there might be some of us in this room that are going, you know what, we haven't been managing our money. I haven't been saving, I haven't been giving, I've been living off a lot more than what I make. And I pray right now that, God, this wouldn't just be head knowledge, but I pray that you would instill it and plant it into our hearts and change us to where, God, we can make a commitment right now. We say this very next paycheck, I'm going to put you first and I'm going to give. And I'm going to start saving and taking care uh, of, of my future. And then after that, God, I'm going to start living off the rest and stop living off of lenders. So God, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would uh, give us the courage to do this in a time where, God, even our culture right now is going to be pushing for us to spend, 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 spend. God, we thank you for your time, and we just pray that you would help us now. So God, we love you so much, and we just want to lift up your name and thank you and praise you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's give him a shout of praise. He's good. He's good. Well, I love you guys, and I hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.